0: Hello again, fantasy nerds. Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as I always am by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, for episode 120, we are joined by a returning guest to finish up the second volume of Donaldson's Gap Cycle with The Gap Into Vision, Forbidden Knowledge. Discussing the entirety of the book with us today is Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Hey, guys.
0: Thanks for coming back on once again, Lauren.
1: Always. Always,
0: we're in for a killer episode today. So let's dig right in. Drew, take us through the second half of this book.
2: All right. So in the second half of the Gap into ver- into Vision Forbidden Knowledge, we get straight into the action. Nick and Morn arrive on Enablement Station, and Morn has to balance her horror at meeting the Amnion, her fear for her life, and her anxiety regarding the psychological toll of force growing a child. She is hurried into the birthing chamber and put under. Davies, her son, is born and force-grown into a 16-year-old in a matter of minutes. Nick is irate over Davies' appearance, however, and is quickly informed by the Amnion that Davies shares no genetic identity with him. Davies is undoubtedly the son of Angus Thermopylae. However, Nick is not the only one experiencing some consternation over the birth of Davies. The Amnion are baffled because, contrary to established reality... Morn did not lose her mind during the transfer of her memory to Davies. They reveal to Nick that she has a zone implant, and that the zone implant was the likely cause of her continued sanity. Nick is furious and takes Morn back to Captain's Fancy. The Amnion demand further explanation, and Nick agrees to another deal. He will trade Davies to them for parts to fix his gap drive. Morn, in turn, sets up a self destruct on the ship, holding both Nick and Enablement Station hostage. Under duress, they return Davies to Captain's Fancy, and the crew flees enablement, heading into the gap. However, the Amnion dealt with treachery. While their parts did work in getting the ship into tack, the drive failed almost immediately. Vector takes quick action and pulls the ship out of the gap, resulting in Captain's Fancy traveling at an absurd speed, 90% of the speed of light. Nick, knowing that Morn's love was all a lie, takes the zone implant from her and beats her. He leaves her locked in her cabin, assuming he has turned her unconscious. However, she fakes it, planning desperate measures. Meanwhile, the Amnions send two defensive destroyers after Davies, demanding Nick make good on his deal. As they approach Thanatos Minor, Nick agrees and packs Davies into an escape pod. Before he can launch, however, Morn breaks free of her cabin, thanks to Sib Mackern, and she redirects Davies to land on Billingate. The book closes with a Return to Earth where Angus is the prisoner of the UMCP. The Director of Data Acquisition, Hashi Lebwol, has turned Angus into a cyborg. Along with Warden Dios, the head of the UMCP, Hashi plans to unleash Angus on Thanatos Minor. But before Angus and his new handler, Milos Taverner, can leave, Warden makes a few private, final changes to Angus's data core and tells Angus that the UMCP has committed crimes against him and that they've got to
0: stop. Ooh. Big chill, big chill at the end. Okay. hmm let's um, begin our style with the drama in the pacing, I think. I have to say that Donaldson is excellent when it comes to finding juicy ways to throw even more drama into what you thought was saturated chaos the the, the character of Morn, <laughs> who we're going to be talking about shortly in her own in her own section here. Uh, her motives as this insane murderer turned horrifying victim turned ruthless protective pseudo terminator of a new mother was just (laughs) wild. And there's this casual way of of, uh, that. Donaldson just drops nuclear bombs on you. Like, like there's an amy on after the procedure. He's like, Oh, by the way, how would you like the body disposed up? And we're like, hold up. Wait a minute. You know, we have just this whole second half was dramatic fight. Sorry, I should say dramatic beat after fight for survival after dramatic beat again. If you, like if you were to sit here and ask me, Rob, for you, what was the slowest part of this book? I don't know if I could give you an answer. <laughs> there was just there were no parts where I found myself glazing over or needing to push myself forward. The, uh, Donaldson can write at this rock solid pace and still present everything happening as one big solid piece. It 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 was the bee's knees. <laughs> That's what I'll say. It was <laughs> it was solid. I loved it.
1: Are you are you drinking a bee's knees then?
0: <laughs> no. What is that? Is that a drink?
1: Yes, yeah, gin, lavender, honey, lemon. Oh my god. Delicious. Oh
0: my god. This is, this is my bartender's wife. Bee's knees.
1: That sounds like it would taste
0: like laundry soap. It'd be great. <laughs> oh boy, not a Tide Pod though. Um, what about you guys though? How'd you find? How'd you find it?
1: This second half is so much faster for me. Like there's, there's no break time. We started with the landing on enablement station and like, what are you going to, where are you going to pause after that? I, I don't know where you stop reading. <laughs> when <laughs> you, uh,
0: yeah. When you snort yourself awake and go, Oh, oh I've been asleep for 20. Damn. Okay. I'll put it down for now. That's, <laughs> that's when you stop and you start again <laughs> the next day. I took it like two sessions. It was pretty quick. You're right. There's really not a lot of downtime
2: yeah i'm I'm glad we're starting with pace as our our initial style point here because it is unique among series that i've read in terms of the sheer breakneck pace and tension um not so much in the real story the real story is a is definitely a different book you know as we talked about he he wrote it initially as like its own thing and then kind of had a brainwave and expanded it into, you know, a whole series. And that's why the, the writing style is dramatically different. Um, it's a much shorter book. You know, there there isn't a whole lot of time spent fleshing out the, uh, the universe that he's created. But here now we're in the real series. You know, he's... He's laying all the pieces on the table. You know, we're we're getting all of the build up. And basically from here until the final page of this series, it does not slow down. This is the fastest, really? most intense paced series I've ever read. And uh and, and so like you're you're just getting the first taste of it
0: Ooh. in here,
1: Forbidden Knowledge. Here we go, Rob, here we go. Yeah,
0: like mm-hmm. Okay, so so yeah. next question, follow-up then. Does the next book begin uh, as soon after the end of this one, as this one began at, after the end of the real story? Is it just yes. like minutes in between?
2: The, the opening scenes of the next book are Angus leaving UMCP and Nick and Davies arriving on Gate. Okay. It, it wow. immediately yeah, picks up.
0: Good, good.
2: There, and and okay. it's the same. It's the same with you know between um, a dark and hungry god arises and chaos and order. And it's the same between chaos and order and the day all gods die. The this series just goes and it doesn't stop. <laughs> um,
0: so yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Go ahead.
2: It, well, so I and on that idea of pace, I wanted to point out the really interesting thing with it is that despite this breakneck pace there really isn't that much action when you break it down. Like, there, there's, you know, we, we got the one scene with them dodging the super light proton cannon, uh, and then we get, like, a couple of brief action, like, scuffles on board Captain's Fancy, but all of the tension and, and everything that drives the story is internal. Like, it's it's... Watching Morn literally start going insane. And it's it's Nick seeing Nick disintegrate as a human. This whole personality, this whole persona that he's built up for himself comes crumbling down. It's Angus seeing his internal anguish as he's being broken down and rebuilt. You know, it's just... It's incredible work to... To take a story that is, Rob, pretty political. <laughs> eh,
0: yeah, sure, okay. But
2: it's it is like it's so hardcore politics. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, but there's see, there, it it doesn't slow <laughs> down though. Is the thing it doesn't it doesn't slow down to to give you the politics and then jump into something else. It's just it, it is what it is. I like, mean, this book was. Ugh, the, I had no chance. I also didn't get, didn't get a chance to actually wonder if I was going to get bored or not. It, it never <laughs> even occurred to me.
2: Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, but yeah the, the next the next uh, style point I had uh, really kind of my last style point and it's Donaldson's use of uh, like meta thematic language. Uh, a little bit similar to, uh, what Glenn Cook does in the black company where you start getting the names of the books used as in, in world, in story slogans and things like that, you know, where the black Company is saying, you know, painting water sleeps, you know, on the walls or croaker is saying soldiers live and wonder why, you know, uh, and here it's not as on the nose where he doesn't use the actual book titles, but what he does use is the series title. Over and over again, while we're in these harrowing internal moments, he talks about the gap. You know, I have, I have this one highlighted. When Morn is, is breaking down, she jerked her head up, spat out the water, climbed to her feet as fast as she could. As if she feared that her black box would vanish into the gap of her nightmares, she rushed to pick it up. And then, again, um, there was no way out. The gap between what she needed and what she could do was impassable. There are all of these little things describing the internal landscape of the characters and how there's a gap. Some sort of Emptiness that they have to cross To achieve what oh. they need to achieve
0: I didn't notice
2: I It's a really that. cool literary motif
1: hmm. Okay, so on that note Then why Why no, it's got to stop In the title
0: huh?
1: Okay, so Rob, you were just introduced to this Warden Dios At the end of talking to Angus Yeah. He says sure. It's got to stop.
0: Yeah, he does. Yeah, I have that. I have that quote right down here in my uh, my character points about Warden Dios because he's one of the four that I wrote down points on. Yeah, he says it mm-hmm. a
1: lot in this series.
0: Okay. Oh like, yeah. Like
1: every time I hear Warden Dios in my head, I hear like it's got to
0: stop. That's like his uh, catchphrase.
1: But I could see it. Like I could see that as a title. It's something he. It's another okay. thing he repeats well,
0: over and yeah, over. It, it, it is My foreboding. My isn't that just because something's a motif, it has I to be a book title.
1: Yeah, but...
0: <laughs> it would be really, really freakiest to have that announced as like a book title. They would be like, oh no, what dark shit are we in for now? Uh, <laughs> it, that
2: would
1: be foreboding.
0: It doesn't fit to me, because
2: the, yep. the book titles mm. in this are so mythological. This day all gods die. It's got to stop doesn't have that ring okay, of mythology. fair enough. it doesn't.
0: It doesn't. <laughs> Drew, <laughs> we're on for half an hour of Drew roasts Lauren. <laughs> no, it's it, I I'm very you, babe.
2: passionate about the titles in this series because for my money the some of the best titles I've ever seen are in this series. You know like he he These did something very specific with the book titles. Yeah. And uh, and oh
1: why not why I mean, not like the gap It's got to stop. This day all gods die.
0: Maybe it's the it's got the contraction. I don't know. There's something so epic and biblical about this day all gods die. It's like ooh. (laughs) It's so nasty. I like it. I don't know. Hmm. That sounds like uh, could be a short story. I mean and, and and it's not even
2: just, you know, a dark and hungry god arises or this day all gods die. It's the gap
0: into power.
2: I just realized God that, by arises. the way, That's
0: that the gap into vision, the gap into power, the gap into conflict. I just thought it was all the gap. I didn't realize there was also a different uh, subtitle. Uh, yeah, so so it's the gap into conflict,
2: the yep. real story, the gap into vision, forbidden knowledge, mm-hmm. the gap into power, uh, a dark and hungry God arises, the gap into madness, chaos and order, and the gap into ruin, this day all gods die dang which that last one like dang ooh. um but <laughs> but yeah uh, back to the the literary motif thing though you know he does like lauren said he uses you know it's not just that the terminology of the gap between or the gap inside somebody like uh he he finds these um these like touchstones that, as you read through the series, take on more meaning, and uh, you know, that, that's one of the reasons I think this is more than just a a, a fun action-packed space opera. It, it's that he's doing clever literary things while writing all of this intense stuff going on.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, my, my last style point was on the ancillary documentation. Once again, you know, I just, I I love the invention of the gap drive. I, I brought it up last episode, even as I said, you know, this minor world building detail, it doesn't need to get expanded upon because we don't need to expand upon it yet. I wasn't expecting to expand upon it later in that same book. <laughs> like, we got the ancillary documentation there, bravo, like... This was exactly where it should have been placed. Donaldson used... He uses the, the ancillary documentations as uh, to explain exactly the right things at exactly the right time in exactly the right way. I, I, I'm still finding my way in terms of navigating his work, but it seems to me like this guy is just a master of, of doling out information in a calculated manner. Yeah. Definitely. He's He's not afraid
2: to experiment with structure... And he's very good at experimenting with structure. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and I yeah. I do I do have to point out uh, one of the things we mentioned with the ancillary documentation last time was how the the narration presents it not necessarily as this like super cut and dry just like here's a history book even though it is that but that there's personality to it and and the gap drive one in particular. Um, made me laugh almost where it ends. You know, it goes on and on about this brilliant Dr. Juanita Estevez and, and then how she, she accidentally discovered the gap and then put the pieces together. And then she got lost in history. And the final line of that ancillary documentation is she died an extremely bitter as well as an extremely wealthy woman.
0: <laughs> yep. You know those synonyms, bitter and wealthy. Yeah, like Yeah, that yeah, that made <laughs> me chuckle.
1: Well I, I love that they call like a massive blunder in estevez
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. I was in the middle of drinking there. I almost did a spit take, I forgot about that. That's good. That's got some nice flavour to it. Yeah. I'm ready to talk about characters. Anything else style oriented that you guys wanna throw at me?
1: No, I'm ready for characters.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Discuss Morn. The Terminator. So, I'm so I have, I'm going to start with a quote here. Nick was answered by another voice she shouldn't have been able to hear. It was full of pointed teeth and sulfuric light. What a line. The, the, the trauma and the way it expresses itself by filtering through Morn's Own inner dialogue, like this character of Morn. She's so brilliantly executed. We've talked about brilliantly written characters, brilliantly conceived characters. Morn is a brilliantly executed character. She has all of the right motivations. She has all of the right tools to help her succeed against the odds. I still think she edges a bit too close to the level of sort of unbelievable level of competence. But we've been talking about this as a group since the beginning of the of, of the Gap Cycle here. Donaldson has found this deft way to, to bring world-building reasons in to explain that kind of thing. The technology of the zone implant. I mean, this is sci-fi. It does for Morn's competence what the notion of Tavirin does for certain Wheel of Time <laughs> characters. Yeah. So, uh, while one half of my brain is constantly going, oh, come on, you believe this? And the other half of my brain is going, uh, yeah, actually, we do believe this. So, Morn is just endlessly engaging as a character.
1: Yeah, and and there are limits to the zone implant. We found those definitely in this half of the book. was like because bottom she limits, couldn't eh? Yeah, she couldn't keep going at several points. Be- even even with the controls in her hand, she yeah. couldn't push past what she'd done to her body I'm,
0: unless so she gets augmented so body parts. You you've now read the scene.
2: The only scene I've read that for me, compares with Chapter Eleven of Blade of Taishal, It's a very different kind of horror. Where where Blade of Taishal is the graphic, violent horror, this is psychological horror, and that's the scene with Morn, you know, uh, sitting patiently. Oh my god! And, and then she starts going insane. She starts like she's clawing at her face. She's tearing her hair out. Yeah. But the one that always gets me is when she turns the zone implant on and tries to push the door open. Yep. And it tears her palms off. Mm. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Like, right there, that's that's the limit. You know, she she was using the zone implant and she pushed it as far as it could go, you know, as far as she could get without melting
0: her mind. She and it she wasn't she enough pushed her mind farther than her body could follow. And that was just... And ultimately, she needed
2: somebody else's help. She needed Sid Mackern.
1: But but also, she couldn't think as clearly as she was thinking without it. Mm -hmm. She has that moment of clarity where she's like, I need to sit and I need to wait. And I will trust these instincts. And I will... Like, as soon as she turns the zone implant back on... She's unclear again. She's crazy. She's just driven by these Hmm. compulsions that she's put in. And and
2: it's also interesting that in this moment, clarity is sanity. When previously, clarity is how it's described when she's insane from the gap sickness.
0: Yes. Oh my God! Right. She does use clarity to describe that state of mind, doesn't she?
2: Yeah. And it's and and so you could you could interpret the text to read that it isn't that she's saner without the zone implant in this scene, but that it's in the brilliance of insanity that she can put the pieces together. And when she turns on the zone implant, she becomes sane again and, and is stuck. (laughs) God.
0: God. You, we could talk for an hour just about this. I feel like it's so it's so fertile. All this, it's so it's so rich. Everything that like all these conflicts that Donaldson wants to to pre- just to present to you like little intellectual hors d'oeuvres. You could sit there and snack on them for hours.
2: Yeah, like look, I, we we just covered before before the series. We did a desolation called peace by Arquette mm. Martin, and yeah. I went on and on about all the the literary depths of that of, of that book. All those same literary depths are here in this book, but this book is like a thousand times more intense. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why The Gap Cycle is, for my money, the best space opera I've ever read, not the Tix-Galant
0: books. <laughs> Big words. Big words. Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, and it's shaping up I mean, to, to be. Yeah,
2: yeah like Mourn is just. You know, like we we talked about the the rotating roles, right? Where where Morn went from damsel to hero in this book, mm-hmm. and Nick went from hero to villain, and Angus went from villain to damsel. You know, and so you get to see what kind of a hero, even though they they have inhabited multiple roles, Nick's a different kind of hero from Morn. Angus is a different kind of damsel from from Morn. Nick is a different kind of villain from Angus. So if, even though he's rotating the roles, he's not making them the same as they occupy the next you know spot hmm. in in this trifecta.
0: It's pretty clever, yeah. And, and while we're still on Morn, you know, to, to take that extra creative leap that Donaldson does here, he showcases Morn's frantic frayed mind like we have these moments where chaos just reigns all around her and she returns to these mental beats that are just so human like she's gonna of course she's gonna be tracking her minutes left as we move into the climax max you know 19 minutes 16 minutes but we also have the shock of the amnion price tag earlier in this in the book you know require possession she returns to it again and again in this moment, in the fallout. Require possession, paragraph, two paragraphs, require possession. There's no authorial filter here. Donaldson doesn't buff the edges of her shattering state. You're looking through Morn's eyes, and you're thinking with Morn's brain, and it's so raw, you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's tangible almost, and it's disturbing, and I. but it's effective. I cannot say it's not effective for sure. Yeah, in fact,
2: this really should have been a style thing um in in that super close third person perspective when you're in her mind as like you said she's her, her mind is fracturing, the prose fractures. We get sentence fragments that don't end with punctuation. We get we get broken text on the page to go along with her broken mind. Oh, see, mm. that's why I should
1: not done the auto book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually did the, the the physical. Say the physical, the e reader again this time around. Yeah, yeah, no, and I also oh, I also want to say I just I love the fact that even during this, even during the climax here, when she has this terminator like momentum, she still finds a few precious moments to erase any evidence of Sib's help that she can find, at least, you mm. know, this small moment of wholesomeness, if you want to call it that, that, as odd as that is, like, you know, in the middle of the storm, where I felt once again, yeah, okay, I am still rooting for the right one. It was nice to get that reminder.
2: Yeah, even though she's doing things that from a certain point of view Mm -hmm. could be viewed as pretty, pretty evil. I mean, she's, she's holding the lives of two dozen people hostage, you know, for... For herself, and for her son, and, uh, you know, depending on what school of of ethics you ascribe to, uh, that may not be a very good
0: thing that she's doing. It's very diplomatically put. Nice.
1: (laughs) Well, she was ready to kill.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the hallway. Oh, my God. On the
1: way there. With her bare hands. Yep.
0: Yep, 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 yep.
1: But it's amazing to me that after all she's been through, she really wants to live.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: she has these she's moments strong. of despair where she's ready to give up and then finds something further to reignite the desire to live. You know, like, she, she goes to enablement she goes to the birthing pod with the expectation that she's functionally about to die. That she's going to lose her mind yep. and get turned into an amniot basically. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and she does it. She's like, in that moment, she decides it's worth it for my son. But then she survives it and, and realizes I have another reason to live. I can still help my son, and he needs my help. Especially
0: once Nick sees what Davies looks like. (laughs) Yeah, see, that wasn't the way I thought it was going to be revealed. And I felt so stupid. I felt so, so stupid when it was was all happening. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. It's going to be the DNA. They they practically smell DNA. They're going to make a comment or something. The wrong comment. Here it is. And then it was how he looks when Nick was freaking out already. And it was about how he looks. And I went, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? It was just going to be so obvious <laughs> as soon as they accelerated his birth. Like, you know, I was just... It wasn't revealed in the in the manner that I thought it was going to be to Nick. But the reaction was exactly what I thought it was going to be. So. Yep.
2: Do you, do you want to move to Nick? Or do you have more on I,
0: Horn? No, I, I think I can talk about Nick's corso now. I think.
1: So... I gotta say about Nick, I love okay. how his internal feelings, especially here, and his his transformation after he finds out about Davies, is physically reflected in in these scars that turn completely <clears throat> black.
0: Yeah, I still don't get what's up with that. His scars are like mood rings. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> what's going on? I can see them turning a little paler if he gets flushed in the face. You know, if he gets angry. But, I don't know. Like, yeah, black. What is going on there? I, I don't know. It's it's cool. It definitely reflects the moment in a in a quaint way, but I don't know. It's a little odd. Yeah, it's, it's, maybe a, one of those, it's an affectation. It's a, be,
2: a stylistic choice that adds flavor
0: to the story. Might be one of those sci-fi things that we can just explain away with. I don't I don't have any logic an or something. Um, but yeah. Oh my god. Um Dickhead Nick Saccorso. Um I'm done with Saccorso. I obviously don't like him. I'm I'm tired of the I'm tired of the constant repetition, you know. Me Nick Saccorso, me chief, me king of everything. Because me have bigger ego than everyone else. Like Will you question me please. now? I angry. I'm Nick Saccorso. I'm just it's so disappointing after hoping for that swashbuckling hero that I wanted to get out of the real story, you know, that as he was presented in the real story. Even the ruthless but fragile guy that we saw in the first half of this one, but now he's just so, like, so single-minded. He's so basely driven. He's so completely unable to do, to do so much as conceive of a universe where he isn't the center of everyone and everything, you know? And every bit of conflict, every bit of conflict comes from the same insecure place and you guys said last episode that oh god wait just wait he gets worse i have to admit i'm kind of nervous because i've just about reached my fill i reached my saturation of his selfishness and his ego and anymore i might just start finding him start finding him incredibly boring i don't think you'll find him boring Uh,
1: I, i never found him boring
0: but if it's more of this if it's more of this whole ego Bow down! I will show my dominance, and I am Nick Secorso, and nothing is rationally or not rational or makes sense because I am Nick Secorso. It just—if it's more of this, I'm gonna get bored. I'm just gonna be like, "Why? This guy is like—he's so determinedly blind to everything." Raffo.
1: I think there are elements coming up.
0: Raffo.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I I did like the the fragility that was shown uh through this book how how mourn while being his victim deconstructs him in turn and turns him into a victim like it, it's you know you think of if you think of characters going insane in this book you think of Morn. Because it's the most overt, but in his own way, Nick is also going insane. He is—he's losing a grip on his identity and and his uh, reputation, for sure. his livelihood. You know, he. This is a guy who has been driven by very powerful passions his whole life, and he turned those passions on Morn thought he fulfilled himself and then had it all ripped out from under him. And now he's left a shell of a man realizing like, you know, all, all of these motivations and all of these achievements he has been working toward are ultimately not what he thought they were. You know? Mm. And so like, he's, he's losing his sense of purpose in his life and he's desperately trying to regain it. And that's why we get this, the scene. One of the most shocking things in the book to me is the moment when he shows his vulnerability to mourn, and he says, "I want you to have sex with me without the zone implant." And I, and, and he beyond that, he goes on, he says, "I want you to want me without the zone implant." That right there. He wants. You know, we talked about the that key word "want," right? How how that's the oh. overriding word on Captain's Fancy. When some when Nick says, "I want you on the bridge," you do not question it. You drop everything. You go to the bridge. When Nick says, "I want," that is the superseding order. And here we see him broken down to begging for what he wants, and mi- uh, and mourn says no. Morn says, you disgust me.
1: I mean, I think he was already mentally ill and here we are pushing him (laughs) straight over the edge because Morn has beaten him multiple Mm. times here.
2: Over and over. And she she defeats him even more over each time he loses to her and she convinces him well, the only way you're going to survive is if we pretend that this didn't happen the way it is. And so he knows he's continuing his existence on Morn's sufferance.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, was, I was, my first thought originally too was, and I'm pretty sure he started this insane. And it with mourn. she's just the catalyst of his undoing. His type of insanity was productive, for him in his whole life up until this point. But when you introduce Morn Highland into the equation, it, it completely it's, it, it's, it starts this this momentum of his of his complete undoing. And I, I, I'm a little concerned with how much I enjoy seeing his undoing. I don't know. I feel a little guilty about how much I like seeing him in, in anger and in anguish.
1: Well, this series is going to manipulate your feelings <laughs> yeah, about every single character. Yeah. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness. Yeah, you know, I, I felt like the closest we came to anything resembling complexity of character until you brought that up, Drew. I totally forgot about that one That one scene there. Um, but what I wrote down was the only thing I thought with complexity of character showing was the line that we got near the end. From Nick's point of view, as Morn is taking over his ship again, he needed <laughs> to make the woman who'd cut him pay. I read that and I was like, "Holy crap! Finally, we get another character moment—not just more angry yelling and deranged threats and insane beatings." Again,
2: I totally yeah, uh, I actually had that about. that highlighted as well. That is that line right there is Nick Socorso.
0: It was so irrational, but it was neatly placed.
2: It's, e- even even as other people in in his immediate vicinity are destroying him, he doesn't desire payback on them. He desires revenge on the woman who cut him. This one person created Nick Socorso. And, and if you remember back to his, his biography, Nick Socorso isn't even his real name. That's the name he took after she cut him and left him to die. In in her own way, this this woman whose name I will not say, because you'll find out soon enough, um, she created Nyxacorso. Huh.
0: Okay. All right. Um let's see here. Oh, actually, I accidentally scrolled past my points here. Oh, no, I'm done with Nyxacorso at the moment. I hate the guy, and I hope I'm not going to see a lot more of the same going forward. <laughs> But I'm done. I'm ready to talk about Angus. Anything else about Nick that you guys want to talk about?
1: No, nah, no. Nah, I, <laughs> I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Ditto.
0: Ditto.
2: <laughs> my friend. You want to go to Angus? I do. All right. Let's talk Angus.
0: Okay, so Angus Angus is almost all of my investment in the series going forward. Angus and Warden Dios, but let's talk about Angus. So the potential... For a cyborg Angus as a villain, or even more insane, a redemption arc <gasps> that would just be too good. I don't care where this goes, but with these particular pieces, good or bad, it can only lead somewhere awesome or epic. You know, I'm uh, I'm excited, and I wouldn't think I was I would have I would not have believed that if you had told me coming out of the real story that I would come out of the next book being excited to get back to Angus Thermopile, I would have <laughs> been like, why? Okay, but mm, I want to get back there now.
2: Yeah, he's... Th- that that transition from villain to damsel, seamless. Because he, it's not like he changed. It's not like his character is different. He's still a seething, walking ball of hatred. And fear. You
0: know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, fear yes. and hatred.
2: And and yet, and yet, here he's stripped of his volition. All of his agency is gone. And that was his ultimate fear. That's the primal fear in him.
1: And even though in this society he deserves the death penalty, and they all know it, Warden still says, This is a crime against you. Like,
0: even you don't deserve this, yeah.
1: Even you don't deserve this. And you don't even know yet, Rob, what he's done. <laughs> yeah,
2: I
0: know.
1: <laughs> 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 it's,
2: it's, oh, it's
0: I have a good idea. So much. Um, and, uh, and
1: I think Warden knows. He hints that he might know.
0: The yeah. name Joshua. Now, as somebody yes. who was never re- religious myself, I need to ask if you guys, you know, you two in particular, interpreted anything that I would have missed without context? was Is there significance to the name Joshua? Is there like a, a poetic bit of theme here?
2: I am hesitant to ascribe any Christian meaning to the name because the series itself is based on the ring cycle, which is Norse, but Joshua is a biblical... Um, a biblical name. Yeah, uh, he's—I don't know. Like he, he it's—he's not like a super major character, character, person, personality in the Bible. Uh, but we get a little bit about him. Um, I don't remember which books, because it's, it's been quite a while since I've. Read any of the Old Testament, but uh, uh, Numbers, the book of Numbers, uh, and and yeah, he's one of one of twelve spies of Israel sent by Moses to explore the land of Canaan. Uh, so this is after the Israelites have left Egypt, but before you know they are, they return to the Promised Land, mm. um, and so you could. You know, maybe you can draw some some parallel meaning in, in that you know he was a spy sent to investigate a foreign land and Angus is being welded as a you know a, a, a spy so to speak kind of
1: mm, yeah I mean but, he's an uh, agent at the very least yeah
2: but but I think that's that's a, a tenuous um, connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering if I if it would help me in my in my prediction for the future at all. Like, hmm. Is there going to be a, a parallel here that I need to pay attention to? And I and I quickly, you know, I did like a, a cursory Google search for for Joshua and and what the biblical significance of that name was. I couldn't come okay. up with anything, so I just figured I'd throw it at you yeah. and see if you guys have uh yeah molded over before. Um, Raffo. <laughs> with angus i was just when i got to his chapter and they just started changing him i i my eyes just slowly got bigger like a like a slow loris i think those animals are called where it just slowly widens up and you can almost hear mm-hmm. that thx you know audio did wah, swell at the beginning of those movies like i was like no way <laughs> it was it was Ah, uh, talk about moments where you wish you could go back and experience them for the first time again. This would be one of them, for sure.
2: Yeah. Oh.
1: And you get a little bit of background, a little bit more from Angus. Yeah, in you, his you thoughts, you
2: find out about his childhood. Which
1: a, was little
0: not yeah. a little bit, pleasant. A little bit, and it doesn't. It doesn't point anywhere wholesome. Um. Yeah. His his mother
2: was not a not a not a nice person. Oh really! Wow. Uh,
1: mm. he'll say more.
2: I mean, he went he went into some detail. Uh, about yeah, the crib it was, it was very vague, but it was very filling ominous. him with pain.
1: Yep, and his mother like
2: needles and needles and things going into places that are not supposed to have things going into them. Yep,
1: and and him him being hurt and crying and no and then respite. She,
2: and then she comforts him and tells him how much she loves him and he knows that it's not him she loves it's causing him pain and then comforting him that she loves
0: yeah it's hard to believe he turned out you know slightly not all right yeah yeah
1: Uh, another difference between him as a villain versus nick as a villain
2: uh yeah yeah uh angus had a a horrible childhood while nick grew up in privilege Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, god.
2: You know, I uh, hadn't even thought of that until you brought that up.
0: So I can say the same thing. I, I mean, I just, I don't want to do too much thinking about Angus's motivations or his wants or his past. You know, I just want to see where he goes and what he does. He's got lasers mm-hmm. in his freaking fingers, right? Yeah. Like what?
2: <laughs> yeah, like in like in between here, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like basically, his hands are like permanent Spock now. Oh, yeah. they, yeah, they said there's like an him. odd gap between his middle finger and his ring finger, where oh, he can't like, like fully close. Yes. Yeah, because he's that's where the laser
0: emitters are. Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought they were like under his fingernails. He could like claw it like this. Okay. Interesting. No, he
1: can't. He can't like close them. They're splayed.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Even he doesn't deserve this. Okay, Warden Dios. Uh, Can we talk about Davies first? Oh, okay. What do
2: we have to talk about with Davies?
1: Oh Slash my gosh, just, Davies.
2: just the premise of this character. Yeah?
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and I want to ask you guys. Do you see Davies as a transgender character
0: or an attempt to write a transgender character? No. No transgender maybe but as an attempt to write a transgender i mean this was written in 1991 trans it was like it wasn't a huge trans representation wasn't even really on the, well, on the I, like
2: available i really. will say there there was hmm, have said it. as far as transgender representation in literature it was all in science fiction uh it, you go back I well we before well yeah. before this book was written Authors like Ursula Le Guin and Samuel Delaney were writing transgender characters, non binary characters, exploring gender identity. And Davies, I mean, biologically, Davies is he. Mm -hmm. Mentally, literally, Davies is Morn, who is a woman. And, and like, I can understand why you don't see Davies as a transgender character. I said transgender, maybe. Ultimately, I probably fall on the the side of, this isn't a transgender character. But there is absolutely complexity there. Yes. And I, I just wanted to bring it up here. To put it in your mind, as we go forward, because you know obviously we, we didn't get much from Davies here, but we will get more from him, you know, in the next book, and yeah, and yeah. It's, it, and I think it's something important to keep in your mind when you're engaging with his character development.
0: Yeah, I uh, this is this is not represented as a natural thing. In this case, this is represented as mm. a freak. Accident, or at least a freak, you know, uh, not to say coincidence, because the amnion intended it this way. They say they claim it's the only way it could have this procedure could have happened too. It's artificial. It's artificial. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's synthetic. It's artificial, and so it it's not presented as something that comes naturally in any way. And so I don't think this would count. But you know, I'm not particularly one to ask anyway.
1: Well, my opinion of this obviously is colored by reading more of the series because we have so little here. But yeah, I I don't I don't see it because of the later books.
0: Okay, okay.
2: All right, now we can talk about Ward.
0: Hey, Uh what's up, my man? Um, I mean, I only have
2: again. We didn't get much of.
0: No, that's why I only have one point about him. But uh, you know, I said hand in hand, my investment in Angus as a vehicle for the series going forward is this guy, Warden Dios. It's such an intimidating name. You heard it so many times before you got to actually meet the guy. And I mean, it is an intimidating name, rightfully so, because this is an intimidating guy. We, I, I was not expecting that glimmer of hope at the very end, that he may, in fact, be a good guy. I'm hoping that wasn't just a misdirect, because the potential is so juicy. The writer in me wants to see more of that. And so I hope we get lots more Warden Dio's going forward, and I'm pretty sure you're going to say, yeah. Hmm? Yes,
2: we yes. start getting points of view from him. Good. I good. think I think he may even oh, be points the of view too. second good. point of view chapter in the next book. Like right at the start, we get Warden.
1: Ooh.
0: Good. Okay. All right. I'm going to. And you'll have that question answered. Will you guys go on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Warden deals. Yeah, uh, he's,
2: uh, like you he said, he's intimidating. Donaldson does a great job of building up, um, like, uh, the mythos of this character. You know, it. I mean, well, he... his name, like you said, his name is Warden Dios. Mm-hmm. Like a guardian god, basically. Yeah. Like, and he's the director of the cops. He is the guy in charge of protecting humanity from the Amnion, you know? And but but we learned over the course of the you know this book, the cops are corrupt. You know? And we and we get to see the people uh his his closest um, lieutenants, Hashi Lebowl and Min Donner. Min Donner, who is described in this severe you know, she's described as his executioner. And then you have Hashi Lebowl who's the kind of creepy mad scientist dude and the first thing you see him do is force Angus to essentially crucify himself and then like piss his pants and and Hashi just stands there and watches Angus get humiliated and, and enjoys it. And you're like, these are the people that Warden Dios trusts the most? Like, Who is he? Yeah.
1: And then on top of that, you have perspectives that Angus has heard from others or, or like mm-hmm. a- about who this man is. Like, does he have a laser where his eye patch is? Yeah, you know, <laughs> or, a what, or a gun, or a yeah. gun. Yeah, and and why, <laughs> why, why does he do this? Does he do it to screw with people, or is he doing this to be nice and not scare people? Like, who is this man? Nobody knows him.
0: you would be really badass if he what he had. Like, I'm just just throwing wild guesses out there. Like, a, behind his eye, if it turned out to be like a pill of cyanide. Or something like that. <laughs> that would be so gnarly. Like I'm just trying to think of what like the badass thing he could be hiding in that eye patch. The the laser is pretty cool. The infrared laser. That's that's up there. But I think I can think of something better. A few things. <laughs> Give me some time. But yeah, this guy is so intriguing. I oh I want more Warden Dios.
2: Yeah, he's he's an extremely interesting character. Good.
0: Good. Good. Uh-huh. Any other characters?
2: Well, I wanted to, I I mean, I guess I already kind of maybe described Hashi, but
0: what was your impression of Hashi? (laughs) Brief as it was, um, ew, I think would sum it up as well as I can. Poorly dressed. Sorry?
1: Poorly dressed, like like, like, clothes don't fit, he's not well kept. I mean,
0: that all goes into the the persona of the, the mad scientist, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure he's got a messy desk and, uh, you know, he's late I think for they everything. they do describe his desk. <laughs> Does it?
1: I think they do at some oh, point. Oh, my
0: God. I wasn't paying attention <laughs> yeah, if they did. You're right. <laughs> just outed myself here. Think uh, right.
1: No, not in this book. Not in this book.
0: Okay. Okay. But. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I'm reserving judgment for now because, I mean, I just don't like, I don't particularly like anybody in this series. So, all oh, besides Mika and C- and C- now. Seb, Sib, Seb? I can't remember. Sib, Cib, Sib. thank you. Sib Macum. I remember his last name. That was his first oh. name for some reason. Uh, Ma- well, what do you think of Mackard. Vector now? Sorry, as of the no. end of this book. I, t- I totally talked over that. My apologies. Say that again. Vector Shahid. Oh, fec- Oh, okay. Um uh, He's too. I can't get on, I cannot get on board with Vector. He's too subservient to Nick. I I loved the
2: complexity in what he did when Morn went into the drive room and he knocks her out. Right. And then he gets up and walks away and allows her to redirect the escape pod.
1: But before that he said, I want to watch Nick torture you. There's a scene before that where he says
0: that.
2: Yeah, I mean... Vectors. And then at the end, he he talks about how he feels like he never really belonged on Captain's Fancy, and that he was he had to try, he had to make an
0: effort to be a pirate, to be an illegal.
1: It doesn't suit him.
0: Yeah, he's a complex character. I feel like there's a reason you're bringing this up.
2: Well, just just because in the first episode you mentioned that you you didn't trust his you know a- amiable personality and i
0: said he was too friendly i did i did yeah
1: sure sure enough like <laughs> he showed animosity and then he showed
0: he certainly hates S- the cops
1: yeah well yeah
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so yeah vector i'm i don't i don't have a lot of hope for good things coming out of vector and going forward well, i should say
1: he, he was merciful
0: yeah, but he's also he covered a, a for her sadist when it comes to getting back at the cops. We'll I see. Know. Yeah, well, we'll
1: conscience are. in there.
0: So, uh,
2: do we have any other characters that we want to discuss?
1: Uh, no. Yes. Min but? Donner.
0: Oh, you want to talk about Min? So uh, she the one that one we didn't get too much of. Is she the one that gave Nick the scars? Is it going to turn out to say to be that? Is that I'm going to make that one of my first predictions. <laughs> that would just be too quaint that Min Donner is the one that gave him the scars I I am answering no questions about I I
2: will say the the person who who gave Nick his scars has been mentioned in the story outside of the context of Nick talking about getting his scars she has been on the page she has been in the story
0: okay Okay, that, that's the kind of tease I like. Thank you. Okay, yeah. good. But um, I did
1: find it interesting how, like, Min intimidates Angus.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's belligerent, like, almost contemptuously belligerent toward Milo's taffener. And then Min walks
0: in, and Angus is just like...
1: <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's another one of those characters where the reaction of other characters really goes to show how powerful of presence they are. It's,
1: mm-hmm. and I would say that continues with Min, and we've heard her name multiple times in this series, in 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 this kind of awe already.
2: Mm. She's <laughs> Warden Dios's executioner. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, shall we head into miscellaneous points?
0: Yes, yeah, slides. Okay. Okay. So Davies claims that the last he can remember when he's asked by, by Morn, um, the last he can remember is right as, or perhaps I should say during what we know as readers was the exact moment that Morn's gap sickness first expressed itself. Uh, He explains how he, she explains how they, uh, they remember watching Angus murder the poor miners and then they hit hard G. And that's where, like, the beginning of their of their memory starts. Now, Drew, in the real story, you told me I was looking a little too deeply into the nature of the Gap sickness. I suppose I still am. Because this made me suspicious as hell. Any comment? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, no comment. Alright, uh, what do you guys... Go ahead, any, any other uh, miscellaneous points? Because I still have uh, two more, but I'll give you guys a chance to Yeah, Yeah,
2: I have a, just a few lines highlighted um, that stood out to me. First off, just Amnion language, Amnion terminology. Conformity of purpose will be achieved through the mutual satisfaction of requirements.
1: I
0: love yeah. it. I love it. Like, I almost well, want to test it. I,
2: such a ridiculously verbose way to say, let's make a trade.
0: Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Superfluous, I think this would be. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, and okay, on that note, we saw our first human transformed oh, yeah. to Mark Amnion, Vestibule. Mark Vestibule.
0: Oh man, you guys even remember and... his name like that, so he must be important in some way, okay.
1: all right. Well, all right. he's he's obviously unique.
2: Well, he's the only Amnion who gets named, so...
1: Uh, okay 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 and he has been invested with decisiveness
2: yep yep
1: as as he says
0: i don't
2: i I love their terminology i love their terminology when
1: he steps on the ship he says that he is invested with decisiveness after the whole i would like to sit
0: oh i love it <laughs> dude he said it five times every time yeah. nick was getting angrier and angrier i was hoping i was hoping he would i was like oh please say it again just just do it just do it yes he did it again it was so much fun
2: yeah uh i, I have another one highlighted oh yeah? this is the scene right when they're docking with enablement and they get a you know a transmission you know two humans will be permitted to disembark captain's fancy yourself and the pregnant female etc et Acknowledgement is required. Do it, Nick told Mika tightly. Your airlock will be opened now, said enablement. Nick looked over at Morn. You ready? Instead of screaming, she nodded dully. <laughs> Whoa, that line is that is that is some writing right there. Like <laughs> Tells you everything in so little. Kaboom! I mean, you
1: spend so much time in her head; it's just very traumatic. Yeah, this poor woman. I, like I said, it's a miracle that she still wants to live.
0: <laughs> yeah, so good. Oh, I, I am glad that we're doing these. I this this is good stuff. This is good discussion material. Um, I, I want to talk really quickly about Sib. Because as soon as he decided to help and I saw how regretful and frightened and timid he was about it, I was certain this guy is toast. I know that this is the kind of guy that Nick Socorso has to murder just so that we can hate him even more. But it didn't happen. And I was surprised by that. And... And again, a lot is left hanging in the air. He could still find out, and so that'll be my second prediction today. I think Sib is unfortunately going to be found out by Nick, and he's going to pay for helping Mourn, because we also need more reason to hate Nick, of course.
2: Okay, okay. I
1: mean, Nick is who he is. And he was sick in the head to begin with. So now he's just aggravated
0: yep. yep, 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 yep. So,
2: my, my next... Miscellaneous point. Our first description of Hashi Lebowl. Just this one line I love. Glasses with scratched and smeared lenses sagged down his thin nose. Above them, his eyes were the theoretical blue of unpolluted
0: skies. (laughs) I love how you just slid that one in there, Donaldson. It was so good. Like... (laughs) just gonna place this here.
2: Including world-building in a character description, totally removed from the world you're building. Next
1: level. Next level. Yeah, that's
2: just... Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Explosive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See here. Um, Oh, and I think I'll make one more prediction going forward. Uh, Obviously, there is going to be a big final confrontation between Nick and this woman who cut him. And I hope Nick pays a little bit, even though I understand that this woman is probably evil as well. I can't, i just want to see Nick suffer because I hate the guy. So. Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, Lauren, do you have any miscellaneous points before I do my last one?
1: I lost them. I had one earlier. Oh. In characters, and I can't—I can't remember it. Well, I'm hoping you'll jog my memory.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, my last one is, the Gap Scout that Angus and Milos are getting at the end of this book. We call her Trumpet. That name is, is great. So what do trumpets do? They announce things. And the name of the next book is A Dark and Hungry God Arises. Trumpet is the thing that is going to deliver new players to the scene, it's it's perfect. It's it's not only meta for us as readers, but it's meta for the characters. It's ward like playing playing games naming his ship. <laughs> Being like this ship is announcing my arrival onto the scene as a player.
0: Oh ha. <laughs> That's so juicy. Okay, good. Yeah.
2: Good. I, I got to say the the ship names in this are spot on. You go back to Bright Beauty in in the first book which the, the ship the name of the ship it's all a parallel to Morn you know and and, and the way Angus interacts with both of them and, and how he assigns uh, importance to himself in relation to both of them and then Captain's Fancy we're talking about a guy mm-hmm. whose most important word is want. Yep. His ship is named Captain's Fancy. I, I want. Yeah. And, and That's then, why he's the, such a Amnion, child. the Amnion have these, like, mega powerful defensives called yeah. Horizons and Tranquil Hegemony. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. The, the, the they all sound like Covenant cra- so car- caros, yeah. It's so
0: pretty good. cool stuff. Um, mm. So.
2: Uh, Do you have any more miscellaneous,
0: or shall we go into favorite scenes? I'm ready for favorite scenes, my man.
2: All right. Rob, kick us off.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. So... My third favorite scene was Morn's final decision there right before her rise to glory. This was chapter 21 when she starts to gain momentum. And I have the quote here. One function started to fill her limbs with strength. If either of us survives this, we'll owe it to you. Another steadied her nerves, restored her reflexes. I'll do whatever I can to protect you. Another enabled her to move her damaged hands as if they were supple. Be sure to relock this cabin. 16 minutes. Everything about every word could tear. You could physically tear the tension in the air with every word in this scene. It was just so much, so much momentum, so much crescendo to it that it was, it was chilling. It was, it was spine tingling. I loved this whole scene so that would be it. There'd be Morn's sort of rise to momentum there in that, and right before the climax, chapter twenty-one.
2: Nice, morn Do you want to go next or me?
1: Unfortunately. I share the top two scenes with, with you. Me. Okay.
2: Well, <laughs> okay. what's your third favorite?
1: Well, I'm trying to think of one. I don't think it's the same as you, uh, but I'm struggling to think of another scene. I mean, a lot of them are mourn moments that I really love, where she overcomes all of these obstacles, where everything is hopeless, and she just won't. She won't give in. Like,
2: okay.
1: So it's sure. hard to pick a spot.
0: Yeah, that's fair though. Right. Um,
1: right. in in the overcoming, but okay, top two. You want to do them together?
2: Well, I need to do my third favorite, and then Rob's yeah, going to do okay. his second favorite. You do your
1: um. third. <laughs> do you-
2: <laughs> uh, my third favorite is one we've already talked about. I wish to sit, said the creature in a voice like flakes of rust.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: The, the situational humor combined with the just unrelenting tension of the scene was a brilliant stroke uh, uh, on Donaldson's part. <laughs> Are you deaf? Is that why they gave you this job? Because you can't hear? That'll make you a tough son of a bitch to negotiate with. I said we don't have any extra seats. The creature turned his head. He seemed to take note of Liette's gun as well as Mika's. His discrepant eyes followed the curve of the bridge around in a circle. If he had any particular interest in Davies or Morn, he didn't show it. As if he were unalterable, as if the Amnion had made him incapable of change, he said... I wish to sit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so good. good. Yes. <laughs>
0: Ugh. And it has to be deadpan. If you had... If, if Donaldson had put even the slightest bit of self-realization or self-awareness in this, it would have completely <laughs> fallen apart. But the fact that it was completely done, Poker Face it was... was <laughs> <laughs> chef's kiss on that yeah
2: that's good so your your second favorite
0: okay my second favorite <sighs> angus Thermopylae's transformation the sheer balls on donaldson the straight-up unapologetic nature of it gentlemen we can rebuild him we have the technology you know the, the horrifying idea of angus effing thermopile of all people getting these kinds of upgrades just the, the potential for that ultimate cyborg villain that 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 little child that still lives in me just was like oh my god this is the coolest thing i want to see more of this <laughs> and so I, I angus Thermopylae's transformation and how just i had no concept that something like this was even remotely on the horizon as possible. It was, they just started. There's no discussion about it beforehand. They just started because we were in Angus's point of view. And it was just, oh, the, the dawning realization of what was happening and its implications for the future of this series. Perfect. So it's my second favorite, the, the transformation of Angus. Okay.
2: So sounds like we share our second favorite.
1: Yes, but the specific part of it—I wonder if we
0: do. Okay. Mm, Is there a distinction? Okay. So it's
2: where Morn goes insane. You mean the whole book? We talked about. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 scene when Nick leaves her locked in the cabin, while he's off to trade Davies to the Amnion, and she goes insane. And I have a couple of parts that I want to read. Standing at the door, she set her artificial strength as high as it would go so high that the rush of endorphins and dopamine in her brain seemed to make a sound like a high wind. And her chest heaved, because she couldn't take in enough air to support that much adrenaline. Then she planted her palms on the door, braced her body against the bulkhead, and shoved. Shoved. Pressure rose in her until her ears were full of wind and her eyes started to go blind. Her arms shuddered like cables with too much tension on them. She was probably strong enough to break her own bones. Small pains like vessels bursting mounted in her lungs. Abruptly, the skin of her palms tore. Slick with blood,
0: her hands skidded across the door. (laughs) I was wondering if that was as gruesome as I remembered it being. Yeah, thanks for answering that question. It absolutely was. Listen, I would not want to pick a fight with this woman just saying that yeah. i, I um, want to no. fight nick socorso let this record stand and say it. i will still fight nick socorso i would not want to fight Morn highland who thinks that i am hiding her child from her or giving her child away nope miss me with that
2: and then the other the other bit here ignoring the blood that crusted her hands she began to play slowly with locks of her hair for a while she curled them around and around her fingers wrapping them into delicate mobius strips endless metaphors later she separated them into finer and finer strands when they were fine enough to take hold of one hair at a time she started pulling them out in that way she sank through the bottom of her despair into an autistic peace, like her cabin which imprisoned her and her body which had brought her so much anguish and all other external hindrances, which had demonstrated her futility like those things time itself lost its meaning It passed her by, unregarded. Her hands and eventually her scalp hurt, but pain, too, was meaningless. She had no idea what was happening when her door opened.
1: Okay. (laughs) Neither of those are the exact point that I would say is my favorite part. Okay. So, she clogs the toilet, she turns on all Mm -hmm. the faucets, she turns on the sani... And she's flooding the room, knowing that she will get Nick's attention. And then she gathers up all of the things that she needs and just sits and waits for the light to flash on to see that he is listening. And she just throws everything and starts screaming. And she knows that her throat is already raw. And it helps her sound worse. (laughs) And then he turns the light off and she sits and she waits and her brain tells her to be patient oh yeah. that's that's my part of the scene
2: you can just see that yeah. in a movie like you can just see her sitting there creepily still
0: and patient i want i waiting i want no. that moment when the light turns back off and and then she goes from screaming to dead silent, but you could still hear it yeah. in the silence. You can still hear what it was just for happen- Like, hmm.
2: That's some um, horror movie stuff right there. Yeah.
0: yeah. But
1: she knows. She knows that she has done what she needed to accomplish, and there will be results. Which
2: makes it even creepier.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's conscious. <laughs> it's this my is my favorite. Not- <laughs> yeah, it's...
2: it's- Incredible writing, just oh, it's so good, brilliantly, brilliantly executed. The the genius of describing her her madness the way he does. There, you know, like I said, it's not as graphically horrific as anything in the Acts of Cain, or some things in the Acts of Cain, I should say. But there's a psychological horror to it that it's like this, you know, uh, can't look away from a train wreck kind of thing. You know, where you, you're, you're deeply unsettled experiencing it, but you can't stop experiencing it.
1: And, and I understand her to a point, like, that is her in the other room going insane. And it's her fault. And she needs to protect this innocent that she has created. Yeah. But,
2: Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, Rob, what's your favorite scene in the book?
0: How can it be anything else besides our last scene? The yep. introduction of <laughs> Warden Dios. And that, that, what I hope is a twist that I was not ready for and love the idea of being, hopefully, maybe, oh my god, that would be so badass, being the good guy. Like, even you don't deserve this. That recurring bit there just... And and he removed what what was it he removed from Angus he removed a little bit of memory a little bit of data core or something like that
1: the whole data core
2: the he whole data removed core. his data core and then reinserted it Ooh, what did he change oh no well oh, he says no. they're slight well yeah he says he says the changes are so slight that even if you could notice them which which Angus can't he wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be able to notice the changes. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but this this is also our favorite scene.
1: Absolutely, so haunting. You end the book and you're I just know. like
2: <gasps> because uh, uh, because I have to do this. It's a it's a big oh, old gun. <laughs> I wonder. The director continued, musing as if to himself, "If you understand what we've done to you, we call the process welding." When a man or woman is made a cyborg voluntarily, that's wedding. Welding is involuntary. Technically, we've done you a favor. That's obvious. You're stronger now, faster, more capable, effectively more intelligent. Not to mention the fact that you're still alive when you should have been executed years ago. And all you've had to give up is your freedom of choice. But I'm not talking about technical questions. In every other way, we've committed a crime against you. As he spoke, his tone became more and more like his earlier smile, the tone of a man who couldn't begin to express how intensely he loathed his power, or perhaps his obligation, to inflict condemnation. In essence, you're no longer a human being. You're a machina infernalis, an infernal device. We've deprived you of choice and responsibility. Angus, we've committed a crime against your soul. You may be the slime of the universe, as Godson says, but you don't deserve this. It's got to stop.
0: What, just the, the, the potential for what that sets up is... masterful. <laughs> oh.
1: This series.
0: Three more books. Yes? Three? Yeah, three, right? Three more. Hmm. Three more.
2: And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I am of the opinion the next book is better than this one, the fourth book is better than the third, and the fifth book is better than the fourth. As all things should be. This, This might be the only, like, Multi-volume, like more than a trilogy, like a, a four-plus book series, I've ever read. That I think every book is substantially, notably better than the one before it.
0: What about Stormlight? And it's not <laughs>
2: like it started with a bad book either.
0: Yeah. Would you say the same about Storm- Stormlight? So
2: far, yes. So far, yes. But but we're we're only uh, I wouldn't forty percent but... of the way yeah. through that. So. Cool. All right um
1: that's hard to do
0: yeah (laughs) cool all right so i think that brings us to an ending
2: uh final
0: draft oh how could i forget how rude of me so i'll start us off then um it's probably not the wisest thing to be drinking at what is almost mid i should say five minutes from midnight now um but i've just finished a coffee Um, it's going to be a little difficult to sleep, uh, after drinking a coffee like this. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably just stay up all night and, uh, edit some video. I'll probably stay up all night and write something or do some, do some homework. I've got my COVID appointment, uh, COVID appointment, my COVID vaccine appointment in the morning. And so I'll probably just stay awake for that. But straight out of the Keurig, a little cake up. night? Timothy's, what's up? I would. You're, you're I would recommend getting night? some sleep before getting your first COVID shot. <laughs> it's only eight hours yes. away from now. I'm going there at eight in the morning. Go to sleep. Yeah. After a coffee like this, mm, I don't know. I'm wired now. I'll probably. I mean, my schedule is pretty up. I'll be entirely honest. It, it's true. gonna be fine. I'll probably stay up all night and then come back home and, I don't know, sleep well, before lunch tomorrow. This is this is your first shot. Yeah. Don't
1: do it on the second. Don't
2: do it on your second one. Drink a ton of water and make sure you get sleep the night before. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Why? I have to ask. Cuz the it second you. one will hit you like an anvil. <laughs> In what way? There's a Uh so after my second shot, I basically couldn't sleep for the next day. Fever, chills that like sh- uh, like shook my body. Uh deep wow, muscle aches, joint aches uh it was it was rough it was miserable it doesn't happen to everybody
0: but just out of curiosity <laughs> which one did you get did you get uh pfizer during, uh, pfizer? Yeah, pfizer. pfizer got you
1: yeah we bolted.
0: Yeah. ah it wasn't bad for Lauren,
1: mine weren't as severe me. but uh i was not thinking straight i was very lightheaded all day
2: for- but but <laughs> yeah you 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 i don't know you only had like a little bit of a fever
1: over, overnight. I just had a restless night where I was feverish and then...
0: Yeah. It's just an immune response. Yeah, your body's got to build yeah, up it's your, what yeah, it needs exactly. to it's the Exactly, it's an
1: immune response. Yeah,
0: yeah so I, I, I was drinking a coffee up until about midnight, and I'll probably Ugh. be trying to make the night productive. <laughs> I still have a few hours.
1: Decaf. Yet. Decaf.
0: Mm. It's possible. I'm already on keto, too. I've already got a mix like... What non-sugary is? sugar in it Like just, just aspartame <laughs> bullshit That's like meth oh, yeah. Could you imagine doing decaf as well mm. <laughs> Anyway well, I'm drinking some coffee
2: uh, Lauren what are you drinking
1: I am drinking Escapist It is an American IPA From Temperance Beer Company Temperance In Evanston, Illinois
0: Illinois It is Yeah hmm. I haven't heard anything out of Illinois.
1: It's citrusy. It's quite good, very refreshing. Definite standard IPA with the bitterness balanced out. But I felt like escapist.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good for a sci-fi like of this really, nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and check out like the label is very sci-fi <laughs> 70s.
0: Oh. Nice. Style. It's very radical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. That looks like it just came out of a, like it just came out of a portal from 50 years ago. That beer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Perfect.
0: Okay, yeah. Drew.
2: Well, I am drinking a beer from Grimm Brothers in Loveland, Colorado. They're actually just down the road from us. Uh, very nice little local brewery. They specialize in German styles, and this one is. One such style. It's a Pilsner. Pretty classic. Pretty straightforward. Clean. Little biscuity. Uh, just very drinkable and tasty. Um, unlike uh, unlike a lot of the beers I bring on, it's not like 15%. Actually, I don't know if this has an ABV on the can, but I would guess it's like between 5 and 6%. Yeah, I don't think it has an ABV on the can.
1: Baby beer. Um... <laughs>
2: But yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not something absolutely ridiculous, but it's called golden hairs.
0: Oh, mm, very nice, very very nice. i, I also mean, see not why you, nice, but <laughs> well, I also see. I mean, nice traumatic. touch on your point, a nice connection there because I can see why you yeah, brought yeah. up the uh, the quote there at the end of her running her fingers through her hair. It's three three
2: golden hairs, Drew. Oh my gosh! It is. It it's, is three golden hairs. Oh well, then there you go. I didn't even see the three. That's a Tolkien reference, then, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Galadriel. three golden hairs from
0: Galadriel's head or whatever.
2: Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, so the you can see like kind of the the art on the can and the three kind of like. Disappeared into the
0: no. I see it right away,
2: I didn't even see that.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm with Lord on this, one. it's right there. Oh, wow! Failed, Drew. I mean, well, that's not as good as I thought it, it was. Then. Off the- darn, it's pretty cool, though.
1: <laughs> I mean, we don't know how many hairs Morin pulled out. Morin doesn't a know lot. how many hairs she-, she
2: pulled out. A lot <laughs> more than at three. least three.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. And uh, and this, oh my gosh, again, what is this? Like 120. 18, 119, 120. Oh mm. my gosh. Yep. yep. Um, Next up, though, we are heading straight on into the third book of The Gap Cycle. Uh, the Gap Into Power, A Dark and Hungry God Arises. And this one, we're reading half of the book. And I unfortunately can't say like, oh, we're reading to the end of chapter fifteen or whatever, because all the chapters are titled names. Uh, they there aren't they aren't actually numbered.
0: <laughs> so you have to just however find
2: it, yep. We we can do um, just like by page count. And we're reading to the end of the 20th chapter. It is Min is the uh, point of view character. It it ends basically exactly halfway through the book. Okay. <laughs> so it's, there's a chapter called Ancillary Documentation Governing Council for Earth and Space. And then a chapter after that titled Min. And that's the final chapter we're reading. So if you want to read along with us, that's that's your uh, marker for next week's episode. And uh, you know, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/inkingoutloud. Get access to a bunch of bonus content, and uh, you know, help us pay for the upkeep of the show, pay our artist Danny, and, and you know, make sure our sound quality is good. And and we're actually hoping we can. Get a little bit of money into get some new software that will make it easier for us to start interviewing authors, because uh, our our current setup is a little convoluted, and we don't want to force authors to jump through some flaming hoops just so they can talk to us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so consider supporting the show there. As always, I have been your host Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host Rob Santos, right here, and our special guest lauren mccaffrey thanks guys thank you again lauren yeah always fun when you're on
0: good for a quick roast
2: (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time bye
0: everyone